Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. This podcast will help you accelerate multiplication in your church so you and your team can create movement. Exponential is the largest community of like-minded multiplication leaders on the planet. Our mission is to equip you as a movement maker with actionable principles, ideas, and solutions from some of today's top thought leaders. Hello, everybody. Uh, we want to welcome you to our Exponential Live webinar. My name is Dave Ferguson, and I'm one of the founders and the CEO of Exponential. And I just want to say thanks for taking time out of your busy day during this holiday season and also ignoring the World Cup to join us. Um, besides, it's tied zero to zero. When you go back to it, it'll still be zero to zero. And we have more important things to talk about right here. And one of the things we've been talking about um, this whole year uh, and this season with Exponential is the topic of, of evangelism. And we'll be gathering at our global conference in March uh, with around the theme of lost cause, uh, reviving evangelism. And I think a lot of us, and we're going to hear from our guests here in a little bit, um, increasingly sense there seems to be a lot of confusion around this topic of evangelism. Um, even right now, I mean, there's studies that tell us that practicing millennial Christians on the one hand, we'll say, yes, sharing their faith is a part of what it means to be a Christ follower. But at the same time, they'll also say evangelizing is something that's wrong. And somehow they're able to hold both those things together in their same mind. And I'm sure uh, for all of us, we feel that confusion. We feel uh, that tension. So we're going to talk about some really practical things. How do you share the gospel? Um, how do you equip others to share the gospel? Uh, what are some of the best practices? And I'll tell you, what, I am, I'm delighted that we have three incredible leaders with us to talk about how to share the gospel. Um, and one of the things we learned from our webinar, if you were with us last week, we had several hundred folks with us. We got a chance to talk to Rick Richardson. So smart. If you haven't seen it, you got to go back and check it out. They talked about how most people in our churches and even some of our leaders really don't understand how can they be a part of sharing the good news. And really, so for the next hour or so, we're going to talk about this this theme, this topic. Um, our guest speakers, the way we're gonna kind of do it is they're gonna offer you some expertise, some of their own experience, uh, even some advice, some themes around equipping. And then we're gonna give you a chance to ask questions. So be thinking about your questions right now. Uh, you can leave those there. The production team will get us to, us, get us to them and we'll answer as many as we possibly, we possibly can. And we're looking forward to both hearing from our, uh, our panel, but also get a chance to interact with you on some of those. And, and also, just as a reminder, too, um, our global conference is next March, and it's right around the corner of the first week, and we're going to be talking about this theme, and if you haven't got your tickets, I'd encourage you to get them now. Don't wait for the new year. It looks like, again, we're going to sell out like we do almost do every year, and uh, so you want to not miss it, and make sure you go ahead and do that. But I'll tell you what, let's get our conversation started. Uh, I want to welcome um, our guests we have with us uh Dr. David Dukinson, who's the founder of the Neighborless Center in North Carolina. We also have with us uh, John Wentz, who is, even though he's in a separate box, is literally only about 15, min 15 minutes driving distance away from me, but he is uh, the director of Alpha USA. And we have Tommy Wilkerson, who's the Tampa director for the Underground Network. And um, I'm, I'm personally just excited about assembling these three people and get to hear their thoughts on this. Um, 
both for myself, but also because I am a local church pastor and how they can help what we're doing or the church I serve. So I'll tell you what, just to get us started, and I'll tell you, we'll just start with David and then go to John and then to, and then to Tommy. Um, give us a little bit, just tell us a little about yourself so people can get to know you a little bit better, your organization. But then I'd love to just kind of set the theme, your earliest memory of hearing the gospel for the first time. Okay, so a little about yourself, a little about your org, and then your, your earliest memory of hearing the gospel for the first time. David, why don't you take it, take it first? Yeah, well, I'm joining you guys from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, we planted two churches in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are now working on our third church plant, uh, which is now going to be here in Winston-Salem. So a bit of ser- serial church planting, uh, which fits the exponential vibe. Um, I did my doctoral studies uh, exploring the um, generational poverty and how the church can respond to help families who are in cyclical patterns of poverty over generations. Uh, Started an organization in Charlotte, North Carolina that does a lot of community redevelopment work. Um, That work uh, ended up leading to the creation of the organization that we have now, which is called the Neighborliness Center, which helps churches, businesses, and nonprofit organizations create strategies to see their organization used as a tool of justice for their community. Um, so we do a lot of talking about uh, crossing dividing lines. We're going to be talking about that today, um, d- uh, crossing dividing lines of race and economics to share our faith. Um, most importantly, married to my best friend for 20 years, Dara, and we got four teenage kids. And uh, and so, yeah, that's that. Um, I remember the first time I heard the gospel message was puppets uh, at five years old. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going way back now to Canton, Michigan, and uh, just a little Assemblies of God church. Uh, maybe 150 people in the church, and I was I was there, and one of the puppets started talking about uh, this relationship with Jesus, and that was one of about probably 17 times that I gave my heart to Jesus growing up as a kid. All right, that's awesome. So we'll get to, we'll we'll dive in a little later whether puppets make the cut for best practices or not going forward. <laughs> right. Well, hey, just real quick, to give somebody give people a link to where they can find out more. Uh, about about what you're up to with uh, the Neighborly Center, because this is something that really came on my radar in the, in the last year, and I think they're doing great work. Yeah, thank you. It, uh, just neighborliness.com, and um, so just neighbor and then leanness. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's good work. It's hard work, um, but beautiful. And, uh, and really, you know, we're, we're really working to change the hearts and minds of people towards uh, folks that come from different backgrounds. And uh, Dave, you actually said it the first time that we met, uh, you said it feels like the work that you guys are doing is trying to update the lexicon of the church. And that's what we're trying to do is give each other language to to learn how to talk to each other, to learn how to connect uh, across dividing lines of race and economics. And then it was actually a conversation with Jason Stewart from Exponential that got me going on neighborliness as evangelism, uh, which has kind of led to today. Awesome. Love it. Uh, John Wentz, um, you're relatively new in your role, and it's just a I'm a big fan of, of, I won't give it away, uh, the organization that you're getting a chance to lead. So tell us a little about yourself, the organization, and your own earliest memory of hearing the gospel. Yeah. Well, I get to serve with an organization called Alpha and uh, serve as the executive director here in the U.S. and uh, live in the Chicagoland area. My wife of 23 years. We also have three teenagers. And my... You know, I've served with Alpha since 2015 after taking a trip over to London to see how Alpha, you know, originated, how it, you know, was being successful at reaching people and, you know, a church reaching 
uh, in the you know urban center of London, you know people in their mid twenties, and it was it was fascinating. But I grew up in North Central Illinois on a farm. I actually grew up in the Carnival. My my family traveled around, and we sold funnel cakes and um, you know Carnival food. This is for real. I'm not making it up. But I didn't know if we were going to go there, so this is good. We're, we're getting very intimate. Tell us yes, about the that's right. You know, I was a um, carny kid, you know, early, early age of seven, I think, was my earliest memory of, I, th- I think, an interaction with a Christian person because I didn't grow up in, in a church. I didn't grow up with any faith. And there was somebody who had a box in an in a exhibit hall. And I was walking as my seven-year-old self passed this table and a guy grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me over and he said, hey, what do you think's inside of this box? And I said, I don't know. He opened it up and there was a human skull in there and he said, this is you because you're going to burn in hell. And that, I think, was one of my earliest interactions with Christians. Um, I don't know if that qualifies in terms of sharing the gospel, but I know that was their intention. Um, And... You know, the, the mystery of God is that I know they, they did lead some people into a relationship, you know, who discovered a relationship with Jesus. So I think you could say that qualifies as scaring the hell out of somebody. <laughs> they, they did a lot of things. So, All right. Hey, you know what, too? And I just want to plug Alpha real quick here. Uh, for any of you that are church planners out there, and that's I know it's a whole bunch of you, whether you're getting ready to start a church or you have started a church, Alpha is a remarkable tool um, that, that I think really one of a handful that really works uh, in a contemporary Western setting, and they are doing amazing work around the world. Um, if it, some people aren't familiar with Alpha, where would they go to learn a little more about it, John? Uh, you can go to the Alpha website, either depending on where you're at in the world, uh, alpha.org. Uh, if you're in the U.S., you can go to alphausa.org, and that's A-L-P-H-A. All right. Tommy, tell us a little about yourself, um, a little about what the uh, Underground Network, and I know you're there in Tampa, and your own earliest men- memory of hearing the gospel. Yeah. Um, so the Underground is a decentralized network of microchurches that serve all sorts of diverse mission needs in the city. And so everything from, you know, mentoring young black girls in the inner city to house church movements to reaching men in addiction to women coming out of the sex industry. And so it's just kind of this crazy motley community of people just trying to say yes to Jesus. And so really what we try to do is we do our best to empower the everyday believer to hear from Jesus what he has for them. So we don't tell them what to do, but you should listen to Jesus and whatever he tells you to do, you should probably go do that thing because he's, after all, the Lord of the universe. And so we help them say yes. And Anything that we can do to come around them with uh, services that help them start and persevere, we try to do that. So the Underground is both that network of decentralized microchurches, but it's also a nonprofit that exists to serve that decentralized network of microchurches. And so, yeah, I have the the privilege to be a part of this community, to serve it, uh, and to journey alongside some of these people. And in terms of my own earliest memory of hearing the gospel, gosh... uh, yeah, I mean, I think it takes me back to summer camps and, uh, yeah, Christian summer camps, not being a Christian, but recognizing maybe I was bad, 
Jesus had done something uh, and I should probably say yes to that. And even though I didn't really totally know what that meant as a kid, like trying to, I don't know, improve my behavior for a week or two. Uh, so I actually try to listen to my parents for a week or something. And similar to David, uh, yeah, maybe one of 17 times I said yes to Jesus <laughs> over the course of my life. But yeah, it's a, that's a long time ago. It's a lot, it's a lot to reach back for. And I'll tell you what, thanks, Tommy. And for those, uh, again, what we're seeing happen to the Tampa Underground, I think is one of the best examples of the microchurch expression. And um, I am increasingly convinced that if you think in terms of the streams of micro, uh, macro, or prevailing model, and meta, as maybe the three predominant options, I think micro and meta are two options more and more church planners need to be looking into. And if you're looking into that, uh, there's no better place than to check out what we're doing at the Tampa Underground to learn from this. So make sure you do that. I'll tell you, so let's jump in. I, I, and I want to make this, um, even if we can, painstakingly practical. Um, so we'll just go around again, David, John, and then, and, then, and then Tommy, too. Kind of this first question, in your own context, um, how would you respond to that? What evangelism practices or methods are currently working best? And I'd love to hear some comments, too, and going, you know what? When it comes to methodology and practices, I think these are some that, yeah, may have worked in a previous generation, but we probably need to set those on the shelf for now. So, David, what would you say about that? Yeah, I'd say that um, that when we get into the practical stuff with, um, with sharing our faith, I think that we actually need to have a, a step before that, is how do we connect at a human level, right? Like, how do we, how do we just connect just generally with a person? Um, because what I've found is that if I can't have a conversation with somebody um, about life, about culture, about what's going on in the world around us, what is real to people, I'm not actually having heart conversations. And so um, it reminds me of when uh, one of the young men that gave his heart to Christ ended up moving to Japan to, to sh you know, like he wanted to go and share his faith in Japan. And he, he, he wrote me and he said, David, he said, I've been here for a year. And he said, and I've learned how to ask where to go to the bathroom and how do I, you know, how do I, you know, get here to there, surface level conversations. And he said, I miss having heart level conversations. And it started to hit me when I, when I was uh, pastoring and a lot of the context of our ministry, even here outside this window is, is in uh, very high poverty communities, that a lot of people are, are having surface level conversations, but aren't having heart level conversations about life, about culture, about what's going on in the world around us, what it's like for somebody who may, might have grown up in a different background than me. And so what I've learned is that by asking a lot of questions, um, by by being able to, to dig a little bit deeper underneath the surface of what's happening in culture around us, um, instead of having uh, assessments of, of what it's like to come from a different background, maybe ask more questions about that. What, what's happening is I'm able to connect with somebody on a heart level and then they can start asking me questions and we start going back and forth. And now I've earned trust to then be able to share this beautiful faith that has really impacted my life. Um, as we started to ask questions about culture, um, and I won't get into this too much. We can jump back into it if you want. I don't want to dominate the conversation. We just got very involved in what I call the physical gospel. Matthew 25 says that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. You know, like in all these things, I call it the physical gospel. Um, our church and our organization started to get heavily involved in equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, and housing, like to the point that we have like participated in our organization, uh, 
has built seven mixed income multifamily affordable housing communities. And, um, and what happens is when we start to meet the physical needs of people, the real questions that are going on, people say, what is your motivation? And then that opens the door immediately for us to use the tools that we've learned in Alpha, honestly. Uh, I told John earlier, we've used their stuff for a long time to be able to then give a clear presentation of the gospel. So for me, I think I would answer that with um, even a step before I'm sharing my faith is, am I sharing my life with folks? And am I sharing my life with folks across dividing lines to where I can share about this beautiful message of the gospel? Um, I think I would answer the question about um, uh, what would I kind of want to scrap? Um, I don't know if I'll scrap puppets. I mean, they're fun. Um, um, but I, you know, I, I won't name, we had evangelism programs in the church that I grew up in. Right. Um, and I, and I felt like a lot of it was very coercive. Um, it was very much like I'm the expert on life, faith and, and, you know, vitality. And if you, if you want this, then you're going to have to accept Jesus. And it was very, it was very coercive. And, and if I look back on it and I just have some time to reflect and assess the way that I grew up, some of it felt very manipulative as well. Um, and, and I think that as we learn to connect with each other on a very human level, that stuff um, hopefully will fade away and the effervescence and the beauty of Jesus will draw people in. Um, it's not my job to save people. It's my job to be a witness to the one who does. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one that draws all men and women unto himself. And so, so to me, um, I'd love to get away from the coercive stuff and, and just be a witness to the things that I've seen and heard. That's super helpful. I mean, and again, if, as, as, as listen to church, church planners, um, as you're listening to, I mean, a couple things right there. I love what you're talking about, the physical gospel, but also questions. So you're leading with the questions so you actually get to know this person before you get the opportunity to, to kind of even share the gospel. Um, John, I mean, go ahead and, and I'll tell you, what, David, be thinking about, I'd love to maybe actually hear an example and we'll come back to you later, but I'll give you a moment to think about that. I'd like to hear like an example like of here's a person where I've actually seen that play out. And, and it did actually, they got exposed to and came to know the love of God in Jesus. All right. So just be thinking about that. John Wentz, how about you with that one? Um, what evangelism practical methods you think work best? I'm sure there's going to be kind of a bias towards Alpha. You might want to explain a little bit of Alpha. And, and if you go there, like what are, there's there are really some underlying principles there, there. And what things would you leave behind? Yeah, I think when it comes to leaving stuff behind, I want to be really mindful that, uh, you know, throughout church history, people have shared their faith in a variety of ways. And that mission has always gone forward. But I think there's always postures that we have to take in any cultural moment to be mindful of what's happening all around us. And so I think there's probably two shifts that just come to the top of my mind. A shift from us to them. Uh, it's a shift away from sharing the gospel being about us sharing it to how can we give an opportunity for others to explore? And then it becomes less about us and what we're doing. And it postures us to be able to listen and to really be genuinely interested in what other people believe, what they wonder about, what they think. And then it also gives them the power. And I think giving the, our power away is so important right now in our cultural moment. So whatever methodology uh, people are using uh, for evangelism, I think we've got to shift away from making it all about us 
instead shift it to helping other people. And the second thing I would say is I mean, just a second, John, real quick, because I, I think what I'm hearing you say is similar to what David said too when he's talking about one of the things we need to leave behind is kind of things that have in the past have felt more manipulative and like it's my job to save somebody. Is that part of that shift from us to them? Absolutely. I mean, we don't, nobody, none of us has ever saved anybody. We don't do that. You know, obviously we're, we're a part of it, but I think the posture right now that people are really hungry for in my context, what we're seeing all over the globe is people are genuinely curious. They do want to explore. They want options. They want to sort of drive the conversation and they don't want to be railroaded into something. And so the more, you know, as, as evangelism takes focus, even over the next several years, I think it's going to be really critical that we get our posture correct so that we can give people the opportunity to explore, but we never force it upon somebody. And we always give them the chance to explore as much as they want to. And so, yeah, I, I think that's part of it because um, we don't save anybody. Um, that's the work of the Spirit. First one, us to them. What's the second one? Yeah, I think I think there's, and I want to be careful on how I say this because I don't want it to be misconstrued. But I think uh, in working with younger generations, we've been doing a lot with Gen Z and beginning to work with Gen Alpha. Uh, ironically, uh, the moniker that's sort of been given to the youngest generation right now is that there's a shift away from um, things being true and, and having to is it true to is it good. Do I even want to be associated with this thing? And I think we, we have to hold on to the truth. Please hear me say that. But young generations aren't primarily asking questions about truth. They're asking questions about goodness. And I think if we can get our posture right to give people an opportunity to explore, regardless of their background or their lifestyle or whatever it is, and honor people respect people, give them space to explore, they'll genuinely come forward. And our younger generations, you know, will be empowered to be able to do that. So I think there's some things we could probably leave from behind if you use those as filters for whatever methodology you're thinking of. All right. That's super helpful. I, I want you to do the same thing. Um, like I asked David to, and I'm, I'm particularly curious like if there is an example you have in your own life where the focus in that relationship with someone you were trying to share the gospel wasn't so much on, hey, this is true. Here's the apologetic. Here's the 10 reasons. But it was actually good. And that became a compelling kind of compelling good news. Then. So just be kind of thinking on that one and we'll come back to you. Um, Tommy, how about you? Let's uh, uh, what would you say are some of the best practices you're seeing uh, in the setting that you are in? And um, and also other things you're going like that. I'll tell you what, that was, you know, 2002, not 2022. Yeah, I mean, I love what John just mentioned right then. At the, and I mean, I loved all of it, but especially at the end, because one thing I have been considering, and really this kind of comes out of what has been maybe resonant in our community, is just society and its posture and its relationship to truth. So at one point, there would have been a sense of, truth being absolute, something that you could logically arrive at. So does a Christian faith make sense? How do you argue it in, from a rational, reasonable perspective? And it's not that that's not important. That's still important, and Christians still have to know that. I think if you go to a college campus today, you'll still get those questions about you know, the reliability of the Bible, the existence of God, all those things will still matter. But you know, maybe 
that shift to postmodernism where truth was a little bit more relative and now whatever truth is right like there's your truth there's my truth there's this like entrenchment so it, it's it's harder to have those conversations if you're trying to come at it from a an apologetic standpoint or a truth reasoned uh perspective you can and it's important but it it's not that it's not that goodness question that i think john was talking about which i think is really really uh uh, poignant. And so in terms of like what's been kind of resonant in our community, you know, I've been, we've been talking a lot. This is kind of an older book now, so I'd be curious what they'd say, but you know, Don Everts and Doug Shops, I once was lost in the transition from modernism to postmodern and postmodern conversion. So he talks about these five thresholds that are in postmodern conversion. And so, you know, kind of to David's point of like, before I even share the good news, can I just be a friend? So there's like this element of, you know, are, do they, can, do they trust a Christian? Like, that's like the first threshold. Like, you know, can they, do they even trust Christians? Are they curious? Uh, are they open to change? Are they actually seeking Jesus? And, and are they trying to enter the kingdom? And, and because we've been really fascinated by that, I, it feels like there's been sort of a shift from evangelism as maybe a singular event. So that kind of like contact evangelism, I'm in the mall, I have this bridge diagram or I have this gospel track and I got to walk you through the Romans road or something like that to this journey in this process and seeing all of that really as part of evangelism. So evangelism being no less than the proclamation of the gospel, right? Like you never really get away from that. And I think the the, the tension sometimes that we can feel is, okay, we've, we're on this journey, but I never actually get to the point of sharing, and that's not evangelism either. So you do actually have to share it. Um, but there is room for a process and for a journey and for relationship to be had. So friendship and living your life before them. I mean, I think about Alan Hirsch and those four Ps that he would write about. And matter of fact, Dave, I think uh, you guys co-wrote um, On the Verge, and maybe it's even in there. I can't even remember. But the the proximity, the presence, the powerlessness and proclamation uh, and the role that that plays in, in sharing the gospel, you know, and in our community personally, um, you know, one thing that maybe some of our microchurches have discovered is, is just the role of invitation and party and follow up in that relationship. So maybe back in the day there would have been, you know, your church had this we're, we're having Christian a Christian comedian come in so invite your friends because we want people to know that Christians do laugh uh, and they do have a good time and it's not that that's not good or that that has lost its place it still has its place and inviting to events is still important but I think what we're seeing is the the ownership of following up and the journey before and after with those people uh, becomes important and so our microchurches have a lot of parties, uh, and that's been a way that they've been able to kind of share the gospel with people, not even directly in those parties, but leveraging community for the sake of witness, right? So you invite someone to this party, whether it's a Super Bowl party, Halloween party, Friendsgiving or whatever, and someone from your community also connects with this person that you've been journeying with, praying for, and trying to have spiritual conversations with. And all of a sudden, they're having spiritual conversations with that person that you've been trying to figure out how to have a conversation with. And now they're open and they're interested in studying the Bible. And some of these people would never darken the door of a traditional church, but they'll study the Bible with you. So if you ask, say, hey, like, have you ever actually looked at Jesus for yourself? Like, if you have questions about God or faith or spirituality, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. 
And they say, yeah, because I trust you and I am curious and I am open and all those things. So that's been maybe one of the ways, maybe more practically, that we've, we've seen that come through. What I'm hearing you say too, Tom, this is super helpful, is, I mean, one of the things is that, no, I mean, evangelism really is, it's not a singular event. It is more of a journey. And, and oftentimes it's, it's not a, even with a single person, it's more communal. And I, w- I think too, I mean, if we're talking about things that maybe we need to leave behind, I think there was an era, um, we go back probably, we have to go back 25 or 30 years ago, where people almost came pre-evangelized because they grew up in a kind of a Christian culture. And so it gave the perception that it wasn't communal or that it wasn't a journey, but they were so close to the, the finish line that all you had to do is kind of present the gospel and it might happen in a church setting. And so they would say yes. And, and I think, yeah, I think many of those days, those days for many people are behind us. Um, I would love to, and I think this will, I want to keep it moving, but I think this, this could be really helpful. So both David, John, and then Tommy too. Tommy, you can think about a story. I would love for you to share a story from your own life where the very thing you just described, okay? And, you know, David, you talked about the physical gospel and asking questions. How did that actually, give us a story of how that actually resulted in someone saying yes to Jesus. Yeah, the, the uh, context of the church that we're in, if you took a left out of our church, it's half a million dollar homes and up right in the middle of uptown Charlotte, uh, downtown, you know, buildings and stuff like that. If you took a right, uh, it, you could buy a house for $30,000 and just pervasive poverty. Um, there was a, uh, a man that would walk in front of our church as we were uh, renovating a you know, 40,000 square foot warehouse. We put a, seven nonprofits in there. And, and again, just the, the physical gospel. We put a healthcare clinic in there. We, you know, we created space to have conversations about what was going on in the world around us. Um, Keith Lamont Scott uh, was a black man that was killed in um, a police-related shooting. And uh, the, I don't know if you guys remember this, and that was about five or six years ago, uh, Charlotte just, the streets filled with people. It was kind of a, uh, it was almost a preview of what happened when George Floyd was killed. And, um, and this, this man would walk in front of our, his name was Juan, would walk in front of our church and he decided to come in one day. And what he found was a community of people that was having conversations, substantive conversations about faith as it relates to what's going on in the cultural moment. Um, what I found both in that moment, um, as Juan came in, he ended up uh, starting to participate in small groups. He started to participate in things like Alpha, those type of conversations of, of just very early conversations about faith. The door was cracked open because there was a community of people that were willing to share their faith in the context of what was going on in the world around them. We weren't afraid of the conversation. And even if we were afraid of it, there was a group of people that were courageous enough to engage the moment. Um, I kind of call it like when I when I look at what's happened in the world around us the last couple of years, I think that the church has developed cultural laryngitis as it relates to our voice in culture um, that that we've lost our voice, but not permanently. We can gain it back. That's why that's why I call it cultural laryngitis is that we can we can heal and we can move forward and gain our voice in culture. But we're going to have to know how do we address things like racial and economic inequality in our culture? How do we address things like the affordable housing stuff? And what happens is people like Juan will stick around if they feel welcome, seen, known, loved and welcomed into a community of people that are crossing dividing lines and learning how to engage faith in the midst of culture. And uh, Juan's story is one of my favorite stories because he gave his heart to Jesus and he was one of many that ended up giving their heart to Jesus. And I really do believe that 
if he would have walked in to our church and not a word was being spoken about what was happening the night before in the streets of Charlotte, right outside the doors of our building, I think he would have just kept on walking and never come back. And so I think that cultural awareness allows our voice to be healed and then we can gain that place in culture where the, the church should be the head of those conversation, not the tail. I love that story. Uh, I'll tell you what, too. Okay, let me let me push on you just a little bit, though, okay? Because I'm a church planner and I'm listening. I'm going like, hold it. You said 40,000 square foot facility? Yeah. I don't got a 40,000 square foot facility. Yeah, that was, that was uh, after I'm years just, and years. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just getting started. <laughs> so I think the things you're saying are true. So how does that work for me if, you know, I'm, I'm just getting this thing off the ground and I'm yeah. working part-time to launch this thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that the 40,000 square foot thing was only a, a place for that relationship to start. There's w- a lot of other places for relationships to start. Um, my uh, One of my family members works at the airlines, right? And he is in the break room every day with folks who are talking about the things that are going on in the world around him, yes. right? The, in the coffee shops, people see what's going on on the news. When the church and when even more than that, when the body of Christ, when the individual that is a member of the body of Christ has stuff to say about our faith as it relates to that cultural moment, there's this effervescence that comes through because there's a, there's a lack of anxiety when we're talking about this anchor that we have in our hearts and lives. Um, and also, when you learn about things in culture, you don't have to be like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean about the prison system being inequitable? Or what do you mean about economic inequality? You're just asking more questions saying, yeah, I actually read something about that. And, you know, and that's when, when I wrote my book, Neighborliness, I, that, that's what I wanted was to be able to help people to engage those type of conversations. And the 40,000 square foot building, that's just a byproduct of something that God did, right? It was all those little conversations that got to that point. And it doesn't even have to end with a 40,000 square foot building. Um, I had written down when one of you guys were talking um, that we need to have more conversations that lead to friendship instead of hoping that it leads to this big moment spiritually, because if we can lead to friendship, it's that effervescence of the spirit that flows through us that we're going to be able to share this beautiful faith naturally. Um, and I think it's more genuine if we're, if we're aiming towards that. Yep. Love that. Love that. Okay. Super helpful. Uh, John, how about you? You talked about one of the, the second shift you talked about, which I, I, I wanted to grab a hold of that one. Instead of the gospel just being true, it's also good. And how have you seen that be a really kind of compelling in the lives of someone um, who's, as we talk about at our church, finding their way back to God? Yeah, well, I think uh, recently I was doing an Alpha uh, group online. And I remember when I first learned about Alpha, I thought it would never work because Alpha, if you're not familiar with it, is an opportunity to explore over multiple weeks. And uh, when I, I went to college, I, I wound up getting my degree in evangelism and church planting, learned a lot of methodologies, did you know a lot of study on that. And when I learned about Alpha, I was like, that's never going to work. And what I failed to uh, take into account is just how lonely people are. And we, I think a lot of times church people, especially if you've done church planting, and I've done church planting for over 20 years, it's hard work and you are really busy and your core team is incredibly busy. But the people in our communities, even though they may fill up their schedules, they don't have a long list of like groups that they're going to people that they're hanging out with, spending time with. And what I found on alpha is people come and usually it's about week three. They say, you know, I feel like I know you better than I've known some people that I've 
been neighbors with for 10 years. The level of, we're having meaningful conversations. I feel like I really know you. I feel like you know me. And most recently, this happened over Zoom. We were doing an alpha online. It was based out of uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And we had people from uh, Vietnam. We had a guy from Pakistan. We had people from Malaysia, Singapore. Uh, I was the only guy from the West who was present on this call. But there was this one girl from Vietnam. She didn't know any details about Jesus at all uh, first week. And by week five, she had decided to quit her job and get a different job because after hearing stories about Jesus, she was so impressed that Jesus would really give his life a way to help the world. And she's like, I think I just want to give more of my time to charity because that seems like something that Jesus would do. And our whole group was like, don't quit your job, you know, like, (laughs) uh, but she did. And the last three sessions of Alpha, every week she got online, she was in tears. And, you know, we we would ask her, is everything okay? You know, how's the job going? We, We thought it was something around that. And she said, I just love being here. And I love the conversations that we're having. I feel like I know all of you. She's like, I need this in my life and this level of community. And so I think for her, she saw that Jesus was good. She saw community. She was able to explore. She didn't even know what questions to ask. She didn't have a frame of reference other than, you know, I, I've heard that Jesus was a part of Christianity. That's where her starting point was. And by the end, you know, she's uh, letting people pray for her. She'd started praying and all kinds of things. So it was, it was incredible to walk with her over multiple weeks and watch her experience the goodness of the gospel through other people in community. So that's that is that's awesome. And and I hope for those of you listening in too, I hope you picked up something that was almost implicit in what you said too. I mean, and we found this to be the case at Community Christian Church, the church I pastor. John was talking about doing alpha, not just in person, but also online. And I mean, the fact that you can actually build relationships, you can actually, as Tommy talked about, to help people take that journey, you can expose them, as John talked about, you know, to that goodness. Okay. And, and what David talked about questions. I mean, alpha, I mean, continually leads with questions and helps them pull out what questions do you have, which is so smart. Um, but I mean, it works great in person, but also great online, which is, I think phenomenal. Uh, Tommy, how about you? And and, and and in your context there with the, the Tampa underground, um, what's, what's an example for you where, you know, you're going like, no, nah, this was a journey, not just a singular event. Yeah. I think that's a perfect, uh, perfect question, especially because more recently, maybe gosh, November, we had um, what we call Jesus encounter, which is a weekend that really is about, saturating the participants in the love of God. So just it's stories, it's responses and experiences. And it's something that we as a network offer to microchurches and say, hey, we're putting this on as a way to aid you in your evangelism. Like, so we're not going to recruit, but you as a microchurch leader, as people who are ingrained in the lives of the people that God has called you to be amongst, uh, you invite them, we set the table, and then you're responsible for following up with them and anything that happens. And so... Um, you know, that weekend is really impactful, vulnerable. Jesus just, he always shows up. I'm always wondering, is this going to be the time that Jesus encounter where Jesus doesn't show up or he doesn't, you know, break chains or whatever. And he does every single time, uh, in the most unexpected ways, in the most random moments that you just think, 
really this time this is the thing that you want okay that's fine um but at the end of this weekend you know we had i think at least three people give their life to jesus we had eight people get baptized uh and it's it's a small thing it's a small event maybe like 30 people maximum uh and so yeah people who given their life to jesus people who said yes we want to get baptized and like that was a singular it was a singular moment that weekend itself was an event but really as much as you could look at that weekend and be like oh that weekend was the thing that did it it wasn't that it's that these people were ingrained in these communities for months and having chances to study scripture with people have meaningful conversations with people especially in this particular community this is uh this would have been timothy initiative which is our group that works with broken men coming out of addiction i mean it's a sober living community so they're sharing life on life with each other every day they're in scripture with each other every day they're working together side by side at work sites with each other every day but all of that was built building up chips in the bank, building that trust capital so that when it actually came time for that weekend, they got to hear the gospel in a different way that said, okay, now this makes sense to me and I, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Whereas before, if they would have just done that weekend, who knows how that would have gone, but it's all the things that happened leading up to it. And then for Timothy Initiative to say, okay, well, we were journeying with you in the beginning. We brought you to this weekend, and we're going to continue to journey with you afterwards. Uh, I just think it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. When it's there's still room for the invitation to events. I think that's still beautiful and important. Uh, but the the journeying with and the intentionality uh, really matters. I, I think in this day and age. That's good. Thanks, Tommy. Um, you know what? I just wanted to. I mean. Again, putting my local church pastor out. I mean, what Tommy's talking about that are happening through these micro churches. Um, I mean, we've started doing that at Community Christian. And because every one of those are started with mission in mind, I mean, these small communities, they do in time, because of the community there, result in people coming to know the love of Jesus. I, I've seen it, and I really would encourage it if you're not engaged in that to explore that. And what John was talking about with Alpha, um, I mean, in some ways you can make a case that Alpha is truly historically one of the greatest evangelistic tools. Um, I, I think, I don't know, I'd put it right up there with, you know, probably the Apostle Paul and Billy Graham and then you, and Alpha. I don't, I'm not sure that's an exaggeration um, because of what it's doing globally. And, um, and we have a steady stream of people, community who come to faith because of the communal experience that they experience and that Holy Spirit weekend they experience through through Alpha. And I love what David's doing with the neighborliness stuff. I mean, one of the things we do over and over again is we use the blessed practices, which are essentially very much what David is doing, um, where you're, you know, you're praying for people, you're listening to people, you're eating with people, and then you're serving them. It's kind of that, that physical gospel. How are you engaging all those things before you ever get a chance to share your story? So church planners, pay close attention to what you're hearing. This is great, great, great stuff. Um, I'll tell you what, we're going to get a chance, if those of you listening have questions, go ahead and start uh, posting those questions. But before we get to those questions, and we'd like to, I'd love, um, this was not one of the questions I sent you ahead of time. So here we go. You guys ready? Um, You got a church planner who comes to you and they're, and I mean, they're going like, Hey, I only got, you know, just five minutes. What should I do? Okay, just give me the give me the straight scoop. Give me two or three things. What should I do as a church planner if I'm really wanting to raise the evangelistic temperature of this new church that either I'm getting ready to start or I'm starting? What would you just you know again kind of what would you tell them to do? And 
The second part, questions related to that, who are the people you're learning from? You're going like, hey, here's what I would tell you to do, but also pay attention to these people or pay attention to this person. Does that make sense? So I'll tell you, we're going to start with, we'll go back reverse. We'll start with Tommy. So Tommy, church planters coming to you. They're wowed, and they should be by what's happening at Tampa Underground. Um, And they're going, hey, what should I do, and who should I be paying attention to these days? Yeah, I mean, I think the best, I mean, values are not just taught, they're caught, right? So the important thing for a church planter or anybody who's wanting to lead their community in evangelism is you yourself also doing it, right? So like demonstrating that to your people. Uh, And so figuring out, okay, okay, I, I recognize as, and this is something for us too, as people who work for Christian communities and organizations, it's having to figure out, okay, well, where are the non-Christians in my life? Where am I overlapping with not yet Christians and ingraining my life with them, sharing my life with them so that, yeah, I can be a flesh and blood missionary to these people. And so I think that's one thing that's important is you yourself doing it. I think there's something to be said about prayer and the role of prayer in your community for the lost. So we pray for things that we actually care about. And so if we don't pray for the lost, what does that say? But if we are actively you know, asking our community, who's who's one or two people that you're like really trying to share the gospel with, who you recognize is far from God, and you want to see them know Jesus, to like be in submission to his lordship in, in their life. And to, as a community, be praying for those people, uh, I think is valuable. I mean, goodness, we can talk about the tool of social mapping. So like sitting down and evaluating, uh, okay, yeah, these are the people in my life. These are the circles and areas in which I walk. And uh, if we're talking about those five thresholds of conversion, you can even go back to that social map and say, okay, if I had to guess where these people are or based off of what I know in their spiritual lives, um, I'd say this person is at threshold two or three or what have you. Uh, I think that's a valuable thing to, to be looking at. So I would say do it yourself help your community in praying. If you want to be more practical and get into social mapping, I think social mapping can be a tool that can aid your prayers as well. Um, and so, yeah, I would, those are just some, a handful of things that I would say in terms of people who I'm looking at learning from, man, I just feel like you can't have this conversation without talking about someone like Jeff Vanderstelt. I just think he's, uh, absolutely amazing. His book, gospel fluency, uh, is just absolutely incredible because you know, I think part of what he talks about in that book isn't just, you know, what what was the good news to you when you first heard it, but what is the good news to you now? And so I think that's a huge thing, like recognizing that there are areas of unbelief in our own individual lives, and we ourselves are always coming back to the altar, repenting and saying, Jesus, I, I believe, but help my unbelief, actually. And, and this is the gospel to me today. And that will aid in the way that we share the gospel with people, because it's not just what happened to me 20 years ago, but this is what happened to me today. This is the way that I'm leaning on the goodness and the, the kindness of God today. Um, and so I am learning from him and just, yeah, a lot of how do you take either what you see in society uh, or what you're watching on the news or in movies, reading in books, and how do you tie that back to the gospel and becoming fluent enough with the gospel to where, yeah, I don't know, 
you're you're watching the Avengers and you're talking about good and evil and right and wrong and God who comes in and saves the day and I don't know it's just I, I think those are all valuable things so I'll I'll hand it over to the rest of the guys. Well, that's 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 good equipping there and you're right, Jeff. Jeff, um, I'd encourage people to pick up pick up anything that Jeff's done too. We we had him speak at an exponential regional this past year. In fact, we got a, a creative meeting coming up and we're going to have him log in and kind of coach us up on some of the things that we're looking at for 2024. Uh, all right, John Wentz, coach, coach John Wentz. Here we go. You got um, church planner coming to you going like, Hey, you know, national director, Alpha USA, you, you ought to know what to do. Um, what do I do? And who else are you learning from? Yeah. Well, I think Tommy said it perfectly. You know, we can do nothing apart from Jesus, right? That's pretty clear in scripture. And, you know, uh, if it's not started and rooted in prayer, you know, I, I just think of Acts 1-8, you know, wait yeah. for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, then you'll go be my witnesses. But if you try to run out and be witnesses without the Holy Spirit, with apart from the power of God, you're going to be stuck left in your own devices. And I tell you what, I've done ministry in my own power, my own strength. That's not impressive. And so you've, it's got to start from a, a posture of prayer, first of all, and any, any form of evangelism that's starting outside of a place of love is going to be really wonky. So if you're not around people, spending time with people, you're going to miss it. You know, the, the word hospitality in the Greek is two words, philo and xenos. It literally means to love the stranger. And we're commanded to love the stranger, to show hospitality. It's the opposite of, you know, xenophobia, to fear the stranger. And so start in prayer, start with people, be around people. And, you know, who am I learning from? The people that I'm spending time with. You know, my, my wife does a lot of work. Uh, she was working with World Relief. She now works with United Way. And there's been a lot of Afghan refugee families that have come into our community, Muslim families, we have learned so much from spending time with them, from their culture, their hospitality in the Muslim faith is incredible. You know, uh, food's always involved. And I've learned a ton just spending time with them, listening to them, hearing what their questions are. And I think if you want to learn, learn from the people that you want to, you know, share faith with. You know, and uh, there's lots of great people around the world. But I, I think the, the health of the American church depends on our ability to lift our eyes beyond our borders. So if we want to learn, we've got to learn from those around the world who are doing this and recognize that they're, they're bringing such goodness to the table uh, for all of us as we look to share faith. Yeah, that's that's great advice, John. And, and I think... For the casual observer who thinks they know what Alpha is all about, they go, oh, those are the videos that they show and they kind of they eat together. I mean, the closer you get to Alpha, the more you realize this thing is like bathed in prayer and really listening to the Holy Spirit. That's and right. that's and that's where and that's where this with a culture of hospitality. That's what what's makes it really happen. Um, David, how about you? Uh, coach us up. We got church planners listening. Um, what would you tell them? And are there people? or other resources that you're looking to where you're learning from them. Yeah, I picked this up from a mutual friend of ours, Steve Pike. Um, yeah. And uh, 15 years ago, we we printed out an eight foot long 
paper banner and taped it to the wall of the elementary school that we were renting every single week. Um, and, uh, you know, we would meet on Sunday mornings and we would say everybody uh, at the end of service, we would do communion every week. And then we would write the names of people on the wall and we would just start praying for them. And we had that for like five years. The thing like disintegrated over time and, and all thousand spaces were filled up. Um, and then every piece of white on there was full of names of people in the community. And I would just agree with John. Um, I think that every good thing that has ever come out of our ministry has been born and bathed in prayer, right? And so, so those names, having that physical thing, I just ordered a map of our city, um, of our little area, two mile radius yesterday that has every parcel of land. We pray over every parcel in this little area that we are now engaged in. Um, and so we're getting together every week. We're praying. Um, I just would not, um, yeah, I wouldn't do much without prayer. Um, and then just really practically speaking, um, you know, Tommy just, uh, uh, just talked about it, um, called it something different. We do something called asset mapping. Um, if I want to know what God or what to do in a community, I need to figure out what God is doing in the community before I ever got there. And so we don't go into communities. I do a lot of my work in higher poverty areas. And a lot of people say, well, we need to come in and figure out where the gaps are. Where are the weaknesses? We don't do that. We say, what is God already doing? Where are the strengths of this community? Where's the life and the vitality? And then we start reaching out to those people and saying, hey, what's God been doing in the community? And so I'll figure out what God wants me to do in the community as I figure out what God's doing already in the community. And so um, so asset mapping is like this process where for us, we put education, employment, healthcare, housing, churches, nonprofit organizations. We start to just build out our entire list and um, and we just see what's what's God doing. And then uh, inevitably, there's going to be some gaps and we say, OK, well, maybe God's in, uh, asking us to enter into those spaces. And and so for us, asset mapping finding the strengths, finding what God is doing already um, has been a huge part of, of that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of my work is community engagement work. Um, if, if you guys don't know who John Perkins is, he's a legend. Um, you know, John Perkins is uh, in his 90s now and has written several books um, on just engaging community. A lot of the language that I use that you're hearing me today, um, I've had the privilege of meeting John Perkins once, shook his hand. But it's his books. It is. It has been learning the patience of doing a long work in communities really came from John Perkins. And so um, I think that if anybody has been a model of the physical gospel, uh, John Perkins and Wayne Gordon uh, and, uh, and their you know, folks connected to them. Yeah, good, good recommendations. And I love how you keep coming back to that physical gospel. But that's such a key part of presenting the really probably what John was talking about, the goodness uh, yeah. too. that. Love it. Um, I'll tell you what, if you, we do have a little bit of time for some questions. If you got questions, go ahead and post those. We're going to try to grab a few of these. Um, John Wentz, I'm going to throw this first one at you that came in, and it has to do with Alpha and the blessed practices. Um, if people aren't familiar with the blessed practices, um, basically there are five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. And we talk about B is begin with prayer. L is for listen. E is for eat. S is for serve, and the last S is for story. And um, the question then is, is, how do bless as a congregational strategy and also alpha overlap? And then they ask the question, do they complement one another? What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's really the recipe, I think, of alpha in many ways, Dave. What you've outlined there, uh, you know, beginning with prayer, listening, eating, serving other people, sharing the story. That's what we do at every single session of alpha. 
And, you know, I remember uh, for those of you that are on here, I actually used to work with Dave at Community Christian Church and we, we were doing a lot with the blessed strategy. And I remember looking at all of our different groups and kind of evaluating how things were going. And when we got to Alpha, that was the aha moment for me when I realized, oh my goodness, they're doing this every single week. It's it's one of the most missional expressions that we have. So I think, uh, you know, Alpha, Blessed, they go together really well. I think it's basically... You know and John, briefly explain how Alpha does those five things. I mean, just you can kind of bullet point them real quick. Yeah, well, I mean, we would say if, uh, if you're going to do Alpha, the first thing you do is you put a prayer team together. And if you're not going to pray, just don't do Alpha. Because Alpha is perfectly designed to fail unless God shows up. You know, there, there's nothing special. Uh, I, I think part of the secret sauce of Alpha is that we're just praying for people who don't know Jesus every day for 10, 12 weeks. You know, and when you build in a simple discipline like that for people, it's huge. The, the second piece is listening. The I think one of the biggest paradigm shifts on Alpha is that we don't answer people's questions. You know, we've got this big question mark as our logo. So people a lot of times assume it's a Q&A session. Ask any question you like and we'll answer it for you. But we don't answer people's questions. I can't answer your question for you, but I can help create a space where you can explore it and you can hear the perspectives of other people in the group. And it's so fun to watch people who are spiritually curious or spiritually hurt or atheist or whatever, talk themselves in the faith. And, you know, they ask a question and say, that's a great question. What do you all think? You know, so it, it also creates a beautiful leadership pipeline because to really host and facilitate an alpha group, you don't have to have any answers. You just have to love people and create a space where everybody gets to share their perspective. So you get to listen. Of course, we've talked about eating. That's core. I mean, the Bible's really about food anyway. It starts with food that's forbidden. It ends with a banquet. In the middle, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Like, it's everywhere. So food is, is central to the gospel. And then when it comes to serving people, there's no better way to serve people than to just take a posture of listening. Come alongside of people. And it's through relationships you find out all those ways to serve people. And of course, the, the story every week, all the alpha resources uh, we make available at no cost. Those are paid for by other people, other partners. But you can go to the website at alphausa.org, uh, download it. And we've got videos that you can share, some discussion guides, all of those things that make it easy and reproducible for someone to learn how to share their faith. And what we find is, you know, it's basically equipping the other 95% of the church that doesn't know how to share faith, you know? It's people who can make food, sit in a group, and listen to other people. And it somehow makes sharing faith really easy. So, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I know at Community Christian, we've been using the Blessed Practice for probably eight years or more, maybe, yeah, more than that, but also Alpha. And they do, I mean, they, it's, it's like hand in glove. It, it, it creates the kind of evangelistic culture you want. So I... I'd encourage people to explore both those things. All right, we got about two minutes, so I'm gonna. So David, you got a one minute response. Tommy, you got a one minute response. I'm gonna take the next two questions. And um, one of the questions was when talking about sharing the gospel today. Uh, what are the core things to share in our culture today? Because I was trained, this person says, in evangelism explosion, similar to the Roman Road type presentation. Do you feel those approaches are still helpful today? Sixty seconds. 
I'll, David. I'll let Tommy take this one. I'll take the next one. Is that right? All right. Look at that. He handed wow. it off. Wow. <laughs> Called an audible on me. Wow. All right. Um, yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I think it's helpful to have as many tools in, in your tool belt as you possibly can. So, I mean, it's not to say that Roman's Road is bad or, like, the bridge diagram is the answer, but it's just helpful to know all of them. So, I come out of an InterVarsity background. In InterVarsity, we were very big on maybe what we called the big story or the four-circle diagram. And so, because of that, it was kind of like the the gospel of the kingdom, the, you know, renewal of all things, the all the it's – a, it's a whole thing. Um, and so I think those things are still important and are still good. I mean, I think the the core tenets of the gospel, whether that's, uh, gosh, I go back to Matt Chandler's explicit gospel, the gospel on the ground and the gospel in the air, like the, the core pieces of it are what they are, but how you explain it and the way in which you go about talking about it with a, a, another human being really just might depend on the context. And I think that goes back to gospel fluency, like the ability to say, okay, this is what makes sense in this moment, and this is how I want to tailor this conversation. And that's where having as many tools in your tool belt is is great. So I'll say that much. I don't know if that's yeah, helpful, helpful, but there you go. It is a helpful tool, but maybe not the only tool that you use. Mm-hmm. All right, so David, last question. Um, someone was asking, what are your tips towards helping an inwardly focused church begin to engage more in evangelism? I know 60 seconds doesn't do it justice, but give it your best shot. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I think that the church... Um, many times is trying to answer questions that culture is not asking. And so I think that when we um, learn what is going on in our community, what are, the, what are some of the greatest needs in our community? What are some of the greatest um, struggles in our community? And then we begin to answer those questions. We, we use a framework of, um, like, like we said, the physical gospel of education, employment, healthcare, housing. Those that we go after that in our neighborhood, in our community, um, and what happens is as the church who is full, the church is full of people in all of those areas, that's a framework for how to help somebody break a cycle of poverty. And so what happens is you get the business community, you get the nonprofit community, you get residents in the neighborhood, both in the rich neighborhoods, the middle class neighborhoods and the under resourced communities. Now, all of a sudden, we're all working towards something together. And I think it's a great way for us to refocus from trying to get people to come into the church but to how do we, as the body of Christ, engage the things that are happening in our communities that are causing such division. Um, and so I think that having a framework to meet needs of the questions people are really asking in our community helps us gain credibility and helps us to restore our voices and then share the beautiful message of the gospel. And and. And that and that what you just described there that you go in more in depth in that in your book right yeah and remind everybody in case they want to pick up a copy what's the book yeah thank you uh, neighborliness and um, I mean it's available everywhere neighborliness.com is the is the website for it yep and it's definitely definitely worth 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 the read thank you. hey really terrific conversation um, two things thanks for both the lives that each of you guys lead because i know this is not something like you studied up for a quiz so you could pass it this is something that you guys i mean dream about think about and i know individually live out so thank you for that and um on behalf of all of us who are you know in the church planning world thank you very very much um and those of you listening in um we're going to keep this conversation on evangelism alive uh, through our conference in orlando and again um, make sure you go to our website uh, to get a ticket because you're going to want to get one. And I'd encourage you to get before the, the first of the year because you don't want to find out that we've already sold out and you have to wait till 2024. So 
Hope to see everybody in March. And uh, again, thank you, David. Thank you, John. Thank you, Tommy. And we'll see all of you later. Thanks for listening to this Exponential podcast episode. Visit Exponential.org for more resources to become a part of our Multipliers community. We look forward to connecting with you and the entire Exponential community of like-minded multiplication leaders at one of our upcoming events.